Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Be The Drop, a weekly podcast that investigates how to create genuine connection with your community. I'm Amelia Ville and by interviewing a wide range of people who have built passionate communities, I share the secrets to great communication. Today I chat with Seb Henbest, head of EMEA at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, a research organisation that helps energy professionals generate opportunities. He is also lead author of BNEF's annual long-term power market forecast, The New Energy Outlook. Seb writes extensively on energy and carbon market economics, contributing to the London School of Economics Business Review and the Lowy Interpreter, among others. In our interview, Seb discusses how to tackle communication for complex and long-term issues and reveals why it's critical to have the right person communicate your message in order to connect. This is Seb's version of Be The Drop. Well, thank you so much, Seb, for joining me for the next episode of Be The Drop. Pleasure. We're here in Adelaide, which was home, but now is a long way from home for you. Yeah, yeah I haven't lived in Adelaide for about 12 years, but um, London is home at the moment. Yeah, great. It's nice to be back though. Good. Well, summer, best time for it. It is, that's why I'm here. Good. Okay, now I see you've brought in your item of significance. I have. And that's something that connects you with your community. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, the very exciting item of significance is a laptop. <laughs> and it connects, I suppose, uh, directly because what I do is, is, is research and it's through the spreadsheets and the documents that we produce that is the, is the, is the main mode of communication. It's how we, how we uh, produce insightful content that helps people make decisions. And ultimately, which you can draw that into messaging um, to a whole set of different communities depending on, um, depending on uh, what resonates with them. Yeah, great. And so what's the key area of your research? So I work uh, uh, at an energy research firm and so we are tracking the transformation of the energy system that's currently underway. Um, everything from new technologies to new business models, investment, economics, policy making. Uh, very rapid change, lots of challenges. In somewhere like South Australia, that's very evident as we've had some uh, blackouts recently, which is in many ways a, a function of all this, all this change. Companies that have to understand how that change affects their businesses, both from a risk and opportunity perspective, and more broadly, you and me and people in, in the, the wider community who use energy and are affected by the decisions made by companies and governments, you know, have a stake in this as well. Right. So obviously you're touching on quite a wide and diverse community, which you've mentioned there. Can you just give us a little bit of insight about who those community groups are? Professionally, we are talking to energy companies and energy utilities, so oil and gas and, and the people supplying your electricity. Um, we're talking to policymakers, we're talking to the finance community. Um, and they all have a, a stake in, in what's going on and they require you know, a certain type of quantitative information that helps them make decisions because of the number that don't add up or you can't put on a spreadsheet, it's not real and that's, that's how, how it goes. Um, uh, more broadly though, um, there is an ongoing public debate about how 
the energy system is evolving. Um, part of that is ideological, part of that is technological, part of that is in inevitable. So, and I, I was saying to you before that I feel like there's obviously been momentum and there's a lot more conversation um, around climate and, and what's happening in that space. Can you give us a bit of a time frame sort of aspect around that? The climate discussion has moved through being a science issue that was championed by environmentalists uh, to one that is increasingly embedded in decision-making at an industrial and at a wider economy level. And so the stakeholders have evolved over time, the discussion has evolved over time, and the size of the challenge has increased with every year that a lot of, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of action, and long-term problems are very difficult to solve on an incremental basis. So politicians have a lot of difficulty with this, but ultimately they have to make decisions in the long-term best interests, and long-term can be a pretty pretty shady thing, right? And, yeah. and uh, elections come every four years. So it's a pretty difficult area. Energy permeates through the whole economy. Yeah. So the, the negative health effects of carbon-intensive energy is not only a long-term problem, not, it's, a, it's a bit like smoking in that respect, but it's a long-term problem, but it also has huge numbers of stakeholders and ramifications. So it's an extra order of magnitude more complicated as a discussion. And the science is difficult, um, we've got a lot of it and we're increasingly certain that this is a problem and it's an immediate problem. Uh, it's not far in the future, it's a problem today. But translating that into information that helps people make decisions uh, on the right side of that problem for the long term is, is really difficult. So um, as a day job, uh, we focus on very much on the economics and understanding technologies that can help mitigate those emissions and ultimately pull us down towards a trajectory that is, that is um, consistent with something that's safe. Across the political spectrum, there's different, there's different frames of reference and ultimately different brokers of that information. So for example, you can't send Al Gore um, into Tea Party Republican land and expect that him to be able to execute an argument. It doesn't matter how well researched and how much data he's got at his disposable. Um, but you could take a very different sort of character like a chap in the US, Senator Lindsey Graham, who is, is a proper Republican, believes in all the things Republicans believe in, but also kind of gets this climate thing and thinks that energy security and energy independence is even, you know, ignoring climate change, is a worthy reason to support renewables and to push down this te new technology route. Um, so the message matters and the frame of reference matters and the broker of the information matters a lot. And in the communities that I operate in, that's a pretty difficult part of the, the problem because it's tempting for everyone to go, well, listen, this is fact, it's science, it's obvious we need to do something, and other people just don't, don't buy that, they don't get it, they don't believe it, and, and, and they don't have to either. So it's, mm. the onus is on those who wish to execute the argument to be mindful of that and to be good at it, and people aren't idiots and they're not stupid, and they just have a different view of the world that you mm. know, we, need to, we need to take into account. So... I mean, you've really touched on this about how to unite and motivate people to, to take action. There's obviously a challenge there. Yeah, I think it needs to resonate with people's daily lives. We're all really bad at taking decisions for the long term. Some accountants are good at it. They get their tax organised and they can see their retirement. And all. Most of us are, are kind of less good at that. We need some help because the near term is visible and the long term is it, it seems very distant and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. I think people generally... The job they've got today is much more important than the job they might have in 20 years' time because today matters a lot more for everybody. 
So we sit here and we say, well, once upon a time, you had to convince people that this was a worthwhile thing to do and it was about the children and things like that. And, and now you don't have to do that. You can actually execute an argument that says, this just makes economic sense. And yes, air pollution is a thing, right? If you're running petrol cars or diesel cars around a city, um, you're running coal-fired power stations, you're using dirty fuel, that has public health ramifications. So the technology and then the, the, the visible manifestation of these problems is really helpful. Um, it's bad, but it's helpful in executing the argument when you have multiple days of extreme temperature, another year of extreme global temperature. These slowly start to seep into the public consciousness. I think progress is being made, um, but if I'm, you know, I think that the, the burden is on those trying to execute the argument to work out who are they trying to convince, what's going to resonate with them, and don't, no one has to have an not everyone has to have an epiphany, right? And decide this is the right thing to do and it's the moral. I mean, that will resonate with some people, but some people just go, you know, my, my electricity is going to be cheaper if I put PV on my roof. That's fine too. Not everyone has to sort of drink the Kool-Aid. Um, and it's better if they don't because you can get some really suboptimal decisions if everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid, expensive decisions. Um, it's better that there is a you know, suite of motivating factors and if the economics and the technology is there, which increasingly is, makes it a hell of a lot easier. It's constantly bewildering um, that, particularly in Australia, where there is such a concentration of sort of, of, of editorial sort of messaging around a small number of publications, and Adelaide's the case in point where we have essentially two newspapers, um, both coming from the same stable, um, where every opportunity, the risks are highlighted or the problems are highlighted rather than the opportunities. And countries and parts of the world that are going to do better out of this are the ones that can see the opportunity, recognise the risk, try and mitigate the risk, solve the problems, but are focused on the opportunity. There will be new billionaires that will emerge and already are emerging out of these new industries. You know, there will be new job creation on, 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 a, on a scale. I mean, more jobs in the US are in solar than in coal mining these days by a significant fraction. And this is an argument that historically has been executed by the environmental lobbies and sort of the green parties. And they feel that and they haven't yet been able to make the jump and say, okay, once upon a time, that's what was happening. But this is, these are, these are good, this is good data and good science. We have good technologies and there's an opportunity here. Whether you believe in climate change or whether you think clean energy is a viable thing is essentially defined by who you vote for. Uh, and that's the same in the US and it's the same here. And it only, it only, you only get past this when there is sort of bipartisan sort of uh, positions on this. So in the UK, for example, there is just still, considering recent sort of political movement, there is, there is a bipartisan position on this. It's, they're not arguing about whether it's all real. They're arguing about what they do about it um, and how they position the UK to benefit. They just combine the Department of Climate Change and the Department of Industry to say the future of British industry has got to be associated with low carbon energy and low carbon um, um, economies because that in 25 years time is going to be normal. And if we wait and hold out and hold out, we're going to be behind the curve. Mm. Um, you've got to believe that there is an inevitability to this to come to that conclusion. And the UK, 10 years ago, most of its electricity came from coal. Today, it's mostly gas and nuclear and other things. It's not coal because of systematically decided that that's, that's what they're mm. going to do. And the politicians have taken people along with them to a greater extent. If we had political agreement in Australia, a lot of this debate would go away 
and you would uh, you would see I think a lot more progress and a lot more of an adult discussion about how to mitigate the risks and take mm. the opportunities. So as far as that communication and the messages, what have you found has been the most successful in sharing these messages platform wise? Is there any you know, particularly where you work, is there, you know, sorts of ways that those messagings are, are more effective in being communicated? It's more that I see when it doesn't really make any difference. So I think social media in general is great for talking to the converted and building profile and, and getting a message across when everyone kind of agrees with what you think. There's enough studies done now to, to show, like, you know, graphically across some sort of phase space, the bubbles of communities that exist, and everyone just talks to each other and thinks they're, you know, making a big difference. Well, they're not, right? I think Twitter is a, is a disaster in terms of diversification, <laughs> in terms of you know, diversification of community. It creates these bubbles. But if you've got a personal Facebook profile, then that, that covers people you know. And we all know people who have very different views of the world. And you have discussions in that forum, and you, you are obliged to execute an argument that is, isn't um, tailored for your bubble, it's tailored for a broader suite of people. Yeah, so there is different ways of disseminating that information. In conclusion though, I'd love to get your be the drop tip. So the be the drop tip is your top communication tip. Okay, so my, my top communication tip, and I do feel highly underqualified to give said tip, um, but I think from what I understand about trying to convince people about difficult topics, which they don't necessarily experience it in its pure form and climate is a beautiful example of that it's really important to connect with what they do think is important and if you can't make your issue resonate with someone because they don't have there's no hook then it's not you should move on you're never going to convince them of something you're never going to give them you're never going to be able to bring them along with you if you think about what the message is relating to who you're talking to and what will resonate with them and in particular if you're not the right messenger, you're not the right messenger. Um, you need to find a trusted broker because anybody, however difficult they seem, will listen to somebody and they will listen to somebody who gets what you get. And if you can find that person who can then disseminate that information using the language and from the perspective that resonates with, your, with this audience that you're trying to target, then you've got a chance of, of, of bringing them, you know, bringing them along with you but otherwise you got to be shouting into the wind and that's a bit of a waste of time great oh i think you answered that incredibly well good all right thank you thanks for listening to be the drop podcast be sure to subscribe in itunes or your favorite podcast app leave us a review or share with someone who is looking to improve their communication you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at B underscore the underscore drop or visit our website narrativemarketing.com.au and click on the podcast tab. If you or somebody you know embodies Be The Drop, email us via podcast at narrativemarketing.com.au. New episodes are released each Monday, so make sure you don't miss out by checking in every week.